Well, again, welcome to Christian Covenant Fellowship. I neglected to tell you my name. My name is Jameson. Um, I do look forward to speaking with many of you after the service. But this is the time in the service where we've come to hear from the God of the Word by opening up the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, please open up and keep those open to Mark, we're in Mark, chapter 1, verse 14 to 20. And the reason I invite you to have your Bibles open during this time is because I want you to see that these are not merely my ideas or my thoughts, but these are God's words, and these are what we need more than my thoughts or my ideas. So we're going to be in Mark 1, 14 to 20, and as you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us one last time. Father, we thank you so much that you have brought each and every one of us here to hear from you this morning, to gather with your people, to hear about your Son. And now we ask, Lord, that you would turn the eyes of our hearts to behold you, to savor you, to see you in ways that we had not yet seen you as your word is expounded. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that I would only and always say what would make most of Jesus and that everything else would fall away from my thoughts and my mouth and that what you long for us to hear would be impressed by your Holy Spirit into our hearts. Lord, we pray that this time would be a time in which we are edified and you are glorified and we ask all of this by your Son's sovereign ability and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Simple question to start today. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready is the proverbial question that you and I are having to answer almost all the time in our lives. Think about what's coming up in the next week of your life or the next season of your life. Are you ready financially for retirement? Are you ready for that difficult stretch at work? Are you ready to wake up at 3 a.m. with your infant again and again and again? Are you ready is the constant refrain of so many of our lives, always having opportunities and situations forcing upon us the question of, are you ready? And it's so interesting that as we go to the Gospel of Mark, that it seems as though this question is repeatedly in the refrain of the gospel writer himself, even if not explicitly mentioned. He wants us to be ready to follow Jesus. He's asking us, not so much, are you ready for this, that, or the other in your life, but bigger, broader, more importantly, are you ready to see, savor, and follow Jesus as Lord and Savior? See, if you've been with us over the last couple of months, we've been working our way at a very pedestrian but intentional pace through the book of Ephesians. Over these four weeks pre- preceding Easter, we're taking a break from Ephesians to work through a few sections of the Gospel of Mark in which we see pictures of Jesus' identity and activity, and we're met at each one with the question, are you ready to respond to him and believe in him as Savior and Lord? And so really this mini-series through the Gospel of Mark is meant to help us ready our hearts for Easter and life in light of the resurrection. And so last week we heard, are you ready to believe in the Jesus who calms the seas and then brings a new peace to our hearts? And today we're invited, are you ready to follow the King? See, the big idea for Mark, for us and for his original audience, is the King is calling. King Jesus, the King of all eternity, is calling. Are you ready to follow him? And here's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to have faith in him. 
He's calling us to follow him relationally. And then he's calling us to fish for men. The king is calling. Are you ready to follow him as he calls you to have faith in him, to follow him relationally, and then to fish for men? Let's begin in verse 14 to 15. The king is calling, and he's calling you to have faith in him. Listen aloud to the words of verse 14 to 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We begin in verse 14. But as you and I know, Mark has quickly surveyed a lot of material in verse 1 to 13. And here's what we've missed. Verse 1 to 13, John the Baptist was kind of at the, at the spotlight, the center stage. And if you don't remember who John the Baptist is, let me remind you. He's the dude who wore camel hair, ate wild locusts and honey, and was essentially the biggest beast of a baptizer the New Testament has on history. He's one guy to remember. And in verse 1 to 8... He was the one who was prophetically announcing Jesus as the long-awaited and now-anticipated and finally come Messiah. And then in verse 9 to 11, John is the one who baptized Jesus under the Father's confirming voice. But then we hit 12 to 13 and the spotlight transitions. John to Jesus. Jesus is immediately driven out into the wilderness, tempted by Satan, in a way that harkens up our reminder of the first Adam being tempted in the garden. Remember the first Adam's satanic temptation in the garden? And he failed at the temptation. Here we see a preview of Jesus' coming victory in the cross and that the greater Adam, Jesus Christ, succeeds where the first Adam failed. He goes and faces Satan in the wilderness and the temptation, and he comes out victorious, depending on God and his word. And then the transition that we hear as we start today in verse 14. Now after John was arrested... We know that Beast of a Baptizer was eventually arrested and beheaded by Herod. But verse 14, the transition is complete. The spotlight no longer on John, now chiefly and squarely on King Jesus. And we see King Jesus arrive in an unlikely place doing an unlikely thing. Let's continue in verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. He came into Galilee. Interesting choice for the king of kings, and here's why. Galilee was a northern region of industry, not spirituality. You would think that if the religious king would come anywhere, it would be farther south near the temple, the religious limelight, so to say, in Jerusalem. But he comes to Galilee, a place that's dense, has diversity of Jew and Gentile, a place of deep need. He comes to Galilee, a place of few churches, not mega churches. It would be like starting a ministry today and saying, I'm going to Seattle instead of Dallas. <laughs> Crazy by some stretches, but Jesus sees need, and so he goes to it. He came into Galilee, and he came to a surprising place in a surprising way. Listen to how he comes. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Proclaiming the gospel of God. If you and I were looking for the eternal king of kings, what do you think we would expect him to do? Overthrow the Roman Empire? Probably. Come wielding swords of vengeance, the army to end all armies, the weapons to put down all weapons? Well, in one way he does, but not in the way we expect it. 
See, we thought, and they thought, he'd overthrow the Roman Empire first day on the job. What he does, instead of wielding the sword of vengeance, he's proclaiming words of new life, words of peace. Jesus comes preaching, not fighting. He comes preaching, proclaiming the gospel of God. His central method to defeat the enemies of sin, Satan, and death is the message, the good news of God, which is this. The good news of God is that we have been made in his image to know, love, and worship him. The bad news that makes the good news good is that we have fallen short of his holiness. We have run away from, rebelled him in our sinful nature and choices. And yet the good news that makes the bad news, that gives us hope amidst the bad news is this. We deserve separation from a holy God because we're not holy. We deserve his condemnation because sin is more than a parking ticket like a fence in his eyes. It's cosmic treason. He offers us reconciliation when we deserve separation. God shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, the gospel of God is not good advice for your best life now. I don't stand up here. I don't bank my eternal hope on good advice for your best life now. I'm not offering you 10 steps to clean yourself up. I'm offering you the good news of God. I'm offering you good news of new life forever, not good advice for your best life now. And so thank goodness that the king has come calling us with a message of good news to new life forever, not just good advice for our best life now. And you know how much he loves us? He's come to do this in the flesh. He's come to us in a way that we can receive. Let's move on. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. You ever had a long work day and you just look at that clock every minute from like noon to 5 p.m.? Is quitting time here yet? Or a long afternoon with crying kids at home and you're like, It's not even lunchtime yet? That wouldn't happen on my Saturday. (laughs) Many of us have had moments where we're longing, we're looking for the resolution to suffering to come. At the time Jesus showed up, God's people had been waiting 400 years to hear anything from God. The longest anticipated five o'clock, so to say, was on their thoughts and minds. They had been longing to hear from God. And at the right time, and in the right way, Jesus shows up, transcendent become imminent, God in the flesh. And so no wonder, the very first words out of his mouth, the time is fulfilled. History's most important hour is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. God's rule over God's people in God's place is inaugurated as Jesus comes to us in humility and promises to return to us in glory. And the king is here, guys. The best evidence of the kingdom being here is the king in the flesh. God could have made known his kingdom in any number of ways. He could have put billboards all around the ancient Middle East if he wanted to. He could have hired an airplane and hung a banner behind it and flew it around the globe forever. But he did something that we could receive in a way that we could understand. He sends his son in the flesh. The kingdom of God is announced by the king who's here with us. And remembering what he's asking for us, from us, 
See, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And what is the king saying? In verse 15, he says, repent and believe in the gospel. What is Jesus not asking for at first? Interestingly, he's not asking for our applause. He's not asking for our spectating. He's not asking that we fill our heads with just facts about him or attend every Christian event and wear every Christian t-shirt, although none of those things are bad things. None of those things are bad things. He's calling us instead, he's calling it for our hearts. He's calling for more than our hands, more than our schedules and activity. He's calling for our very lives, our very souls, our hearts. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. What does that mean? It means turn around. It means stop. Turn away from trust in yourself for any right standing with God and turn towards, repent, believe in the God of the gospel. See, repentance begins by us seeing our need for God. We won't turn to God until we're so convinced, until you and I are so convinced that we bring nothing but need to the equation of salvation and Jesus brings all the ability. Repentance begins with humiliation of the heart before you see any reformation in life. That's not, I wish I could claim that. Someone else said that. It's really wise and I think it's worth repeating. Repentance begins with humiliation of the heart before it leads to reformation in the life. For you to turn to God, you must turn away from yourself. You must acknowledge, I bring nothing but need to the equation of salvation. I need God's forgiveness. And thankfully, Jesus brings all the ability. I see myself honestly and openly as a sinner in need of grace. And I see Jesus on the cross as the one who died to forgive my sin and offer me his grace. Guys, the gospel begins with repentance and confession. And so the question for you and I is, have you first agreed with God about the ugliness of your sin? Have you agreed with God about the ugliness, the cosmic treason of your sin? Not someone else's sin. Not pointing the finger at the, at the guy on the criminal in the news or the bank, the embezzler at work. But have you come to see your need for Jesus? And the reason I press in on this is because we won't celebrate the, the gift of God's grace unless we taste the bitter ugliness of our sin. And so let us first taste the ugliness so that we could then taste the grace. Let it hang over us that we were separated from God, but then the good news is that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, as 1 John 4, 9 says. We repent not without hope, but we repent with hope and with reason to celebrate when we look to the cross at Jesus who lived, died, and was raised for us. And so I ask again, have you first agreed with God about the ugliness of your sin? And have you repented, turned away from trying to make yourself right with God? And now we believe in the God who makes us right with him. See, what Jesus says next is repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. Not just turn away from something, but turn towards someone. Repentance and belief, like two sides of the same coin. We run to the God of the gospel. As one pastor has said this, I'm going to read it for you because I think it's so worth hearing. The gospel is not about following advice. It's about being called to follow a king. Not just someone with power and authority to tell you what needs to be done, but someone with the power and the authority to do what needs to be done and then offer it to you. 
The king is coming, and he's calling, and he's offering you something that you desperately need, offering something I desperately need. See, here's the difference between religion and Jesus. Every other religion in the world essentially has this at its core. Do, 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 or be damned. Do, 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 or be damned. You better do, 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 and try to earn your way into right standing with God because that's the only way he'll accept you. That's the central premise of almost every other religion in the world. You know what makes Jesus different? He says, I've done, 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 and on the cross, it is finished. Religion says, do, 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 or be damned. Jesus on the cross says, I've done it, and it is finished. And so we repent. We turn away from trust in ourselves or anything else that we think could make us right with God, and we turn towards Jesus on the cross who says, it is finished. I've done what you can't do. I've, I've suffered the curse that you deserve to bear to offer you the blessing you don't deserve. The good news of the gospel is good news for new life. It's not just good advice for our best life. And so I invite you to look upon the Jesus of the cross and and to believe in him. We can't get past this first section without asking the final question. Have you believed in the Jesus of the gospel? Have you personally, personally believed in the Jesus of the gospel? Have you stopped settling for knowing about being around the church, being around people who know Jesus, but have you come to see your need for him, repented, turned away from trust in yourself, turned towards trust in his finished work on the cross, and found the joy of knowing him in relational delight? See, it's only Jesus who lives perfectly, dies sacrificially, and rises victoriously, but when you know him, the only thing you want is him. (laughs) When you know Jesus, all you want to do is follow him. And that's what the king is calling to do next. See, first, the king is calling us to have faith in him. And the next thing he's doing is calling us to follow him in relational delight. Turn with me now to verse 16 to 20. The king is calling to have, for us to have faith and to follow him. So Jesus was preaching, and now he's moving. Verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, immediately, so many questions go through my mind. (laughs) Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately, He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. They followed Jesus. Leaving is hard, isn't it? Saying goodbyes in order to say hello to something else is always hard. And many of us know this both in the gravest of difficulty and even more lighthearted ways. After I graduated from college, I moved from the West Coast to the East Coast. I had to say goodbye to the life and the future I envisioned for myself on the West Coast. I was a 22-year-old single man. It wasn't hard to convince me that the West Coast was great. (laughs) The beach, the mountains, closest friends, and the best tacos outside of Mexico. I was not ready to leave until I felt a calling toward marriage. See, at that time, my now wife and I, we were dating 
and trying to do so three time zones apart as she lived on the East Coast. And so we realized if we want to get married, three time zones between us isn't really going to help. And so I needed to leave in order to follow that calling, in order to follow and find the joy of of being in relationship with her through marriage. So I said goodbye, I left, in order to find someone, not just pursue something. In verse 16 to 20, Jesus is calling us to leave behind even good things, even good things. Businesses, jobs, family, immediate relationships, in order to find the greatest thing. In order to find relational joy with the God who made you. See, at the central crux of this section is an invitation to know and follow Jesus. Verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus didn't need a map to find these guys. (laughs) He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knew where they were, and he came at the right time to find them. He came to find Simon and Andrew, guys who were in the middle of their work. What were they doing? At the time that Jesus called them, seemingly the most inopportune time for them to leave, they were casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. They were doing their job. They were hard at work trying to earn the paycheck to feed their family and supply food to the entire region. Would you be ready to leave if Jesus called you to follow him? in the midst of your busiest seasons of life, would you be ready to leave and follow him? And this isn't an accident. It's the pattern. Look at verse 19 to 20. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. James and John. In case you forgot who these guys were, Let me remind you, they had the coolest nickname in the entire New Testament, the Sons of Thunder. James and John. Yes, that went through my mind as we were considering names for my boys. How can I work this in? Sons of Thunder. Cooler heads prevailed. Gen one outs. Ezra and Josiah it is. Anyways, James and John are here. What are they doing? The same thing that Simon and Andrew are doing. Hard at work. And even more so, they're in their boat mending their nets. If businessmen are busy with their occupation, can you imagine businessmen who have their mechanical equipment broken? How much more anxious they might be to fix that and get back to work? We're even that much farther from earning our paycheck and providing for our families. They must have been afraid to leave and follow at this point because they're not just guys on crab orchard fishing for kicks and giggles. These are guys who have a boat big enough for multiple nets, multiple 15 by 20 foot nets, And it's not just them. It's them and their father, Zebedee, and their servants. This is not a little canoe. This is deadliest catch Middle East episode. These guys are working for a living. And yet Jesus comes to interrupt them and says, follow me. Would you be ready? Would you be ready to leave business, prestige, reputation, security of income, and follow Jesus just to get Jesus? It makes me wonder. What are the nets that you and I are casting or mending right now that could either help or hinder our walk with Jesus? What are the nets in your life, the primary activities, the occupations, the vocations that you're so consumed with that they are either helping and or hindering your following, your joy in Jesus? And let me say first, 
Many of the nets that you and I cast in or are mending, working on, the things we've been called to, very good, very necessary and important things like ministry with our families, building up this local body of Christ, taking time to move out into the community to those who don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior and share our lives in the gospel with them. Very good nets. Continue fishing if that's how you're fishing. But many of us are also casting and spending time mending the nets, which may be hindrances, not helps, to our walk with Jesus. What are the nets that God might be asking you to put down and stop getting entangled in so that you can take up the proper nets and and follow Jesus? Let's think first about our jobs. What sort of goals, financially, professionally, maybe just our reputations and our resumes, are so consuming your thoughts and your time, that they may get in the way of you making time for others outside of work. What about our schedules? This is the one that was probably most convicting to me this week. What, how do our schedules, how we use our time, spend it with people, who we spend it with, how do they help or hinder our joy in Jesus and relationship with his people? What are the nets that you're casting that you shouldn't be casting And what are the nets that you're not yet casting that you should be casting? It's interesting that Jesus never qualified this command. He didn't say, oh, go finish that one net of fish, pull it up, and then go. He didn't say, say goodbye to Zebedee and the servants, and then come. He just says, follow me. It reminds me that following Jesus is costly. In the same way that Jesus reminded his disciples on his march towards the ultimate death on the cross, in Mark chapter 8, he's previewing his death, his life, death, and resurrection. And this is what he says to them, reminding them of the cost. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus is calling us to lay down everything, but he promises that it'll be worth it. He promises that it'll be worth it. And here's why I know that. The Jesus who calls us to lay down everything to follow him is the Jesus who laid down everything to find us. The Jesus who calls us to lay down everything to follow him is the Jesus who laid down everything to find us. Jesus is the one who came to live, die, and be raised on our behalf to offer us what we can't earn and and what we most desperately need. See, it says here that Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. He doesn't say, follow ten steps. He doesn't say, follow a political candidate. He doesn't say, follow this next, next advice for your best life now. Follow me. Guys, he wants a relationship, not just our ritual activity. He wants a relationship, not just ritual. He wants your heart, not just your hands. He wants to be your joy, not just your genie. Let's not settle for following Jesus because of what he can give to us in the moment by moment. He is the God who gives every good gift, but we follow Jesus because we get Jesus. That's all that we need. And when we get to eternity, Revelation 21, that's all that we will desire dwelling with God, 
Him being our God, us being his people, face-to-face intimate relational delight in him, and now we can resonate and and reflect with the Apostle Paul who says in Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Has Jesus become so worthy to you that you're willing to lose anything in order to gain him? Has Jesus become so precious, so meaningful and and valuable to you that you're willing to lay down anything if you would only gain him? See, that's both the call and the good news of the gospel. The call and the good news of the gospel is following Jesus is worth it because we get Jesus. We remember that we were lost. We were trapped in the nets of our sin and the suffering of this world, and yet the great fisherman said goodbye to his eternal boat of comfort and his eternal father long before James and John said goodbye to Zebedee. And he said goodbye. The the transcendent became imminent, stepped into our suffering and our sin in this world to rescue us, to pull us out of the seas of God's wrath that we deserve to drown in, to pull us out of the suffering of this world, to come and live perfectly when we failed to, to die sacrificially in our place, and then to rise up in victory. He came to Galilee, died at Calvary, rose to victory to offer us forgiveness of sin and comfort in our sorrow. That's the Jesus we get when we say, it's worth it. He's calling. Are you ready? Are you ready to follow this Jesus? See, guys, the king has come calling. The king has come conquering sin, Satan, and death. And now the king comes inviting us to participate in the mission that matters for all eternity, to fish from the sea of humanity for the catch of eternity. Verse 17, the king is not just calling us to have faith in him, to follow him in relational delight, but he's calling us to fish for men. The most important mission you and I will ever share. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Who likes to fish in this room? Thank you, Sue. I had one person in mind when I had that question come to mind. But I know many of us like to fish in this room. I, I don't know what fishing is like. I need to go with one of you at some point. So correct me if I'm wrong. But from my best understanding, what happens out on Crab Orchard is both either very enjoyable to some or very trying to others. For many, it's therapeutic. It's a very slow, intentional active work on one hand where you get out there and you cast the nets or you cast the bait. I don't think anyone casts nets on the crab orchard. I hope not. I think that's illegal. It's active. It's slow. It's intentional. But on the other hand, it's very dependent, isn't it? I don't know exactly where the fish are. I don't know exactly when to throw the lure down there. I don't know exactly when to pull it up, although the tug on the, you know, the, the line gives me some clue. You have to be intentional. You have to be active in fishing. But there's also a part of it that that is dependent, dependent on other circumstances. Jesus is speaking to guys who knew what fishing was like. They knew the the passive and the active part. They knew the parts they had to do and the parts that they couldn't do. And he's calling them in a frame of reference. They understand, you guys were fishing for physical fish, and now I'm going to invite you to an even grander mission. I'm going to invite you to essentially fish 
from the sea of humanity for the catch of eternity. That got stuck in my head, and I couldn't get it out. Fish from the sea of humanity for the catch of eternity. And there is a passive role, or an active role, that you're going to play in this. I'm going to need you to do something in this. You are going to become fishers of men, and yet at the same time, God is the God who is sovereign over everything, including salvation, and so we depend on him, and we run to him, the great fisherman who first caught us and then continues to call us to catch others. So we begin with a new mission, a new vocation. Jesus saying, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Make you become... What do you think James and John, Simon and Andrew, were hoping for when Jesus said, follow me? Follow me, and maybe I'll give you a bigger boat. Follow me, and maybe I'll make your business even more successful, bring in more fish than you can count. Jesus doesn't come with a prosperity gospel. He comes with a missional gospel. Jesus doesn't come promising our best life now. He's promising us good news and new life forever. He comes with a missional gospel. The grace that saves us then changes us, and it goes through us. He says it's going to change us. I will make you. Not you will become, not try harder, not do this, do that. I will make you, as you walk with me, as you follow me, I will make you something you're not. I will make you become fishers of men. He he makes us become something we're not. He changes our focus from ourselves to others. He changes our, our goal in life from our glory to God's glory. His grace comes to us, and it changes us, and then it goes out through us. The great fishermen makes us fishers for men. That's the ultimate mission that you and I now share. And yet, if I even say the word evangelism, some of us sit up straight in shock and and horror. What? Me? That's what I pay you to do, Jameson. No. That's what I equip you to do. That's what fishers of men do. We equip one another to be fishers of men by God's sovereign power. So what is the biggest barrier to evangelism, to missional living, to fishing for men? What's the biggest barrier in our hearts? I I was praying about it in my life this week. The times in my life when missional living, fishing for men, seems to be less important is when I'm not walking intimately with Jesus. Here's what I mean. You won't speak publicly about Jesus until you savor him privately. Mission begins with worship. Mission begins with worship. You want to have a missional lifestyle? Worship Jesus. You want to share the gospel with your neighbors? Follow him. (laughs) You can't speak about Jesus publicly until you're walking with him, savoring him personally. But when you are, when he is your chief joy, when you are savoring the good news of the gospel, when you remember that my goodness... Jesus died for my sin. My sin was so bad that the Son of God had to die for it, and yet God so loved me that the Son of God died for it. When you remember he died for your sin, when you remember he actually rose from the dead, that he literally, from the grave, got up and beat our ultimate enemy, sin, Satan, and death, who wouldn't you want to tell that to? Because the invitation comes to us. If you believe in him, you're offered new life, forgiveness of sin. Right standing with God. And anyone who else who believes is offered the same thing. And so as we behold God, we are transformed from one degree of glory into another. As we sit at his feet, as we soak in this good news, we are made fishers of men. You don't make yourself a fisher of men. 
You are made a fisher of man, of men by the great fisherman himself, Jesus. So the first question, are you taking time to adore God? Seriously, do you take time just to adore God? Not just to get through the prayer list, the bullet points, or the reading plan as a check off your box, but do you take time to soak in the seas of Scripture? Do you take time to just enjoy relationally speak with the God who has first spoken to us in Scripture? Do you take time to just enjoy knowing Him, being with Him? And trust me, this is what I preach to myself at the beginning of every morning. The temptation for me is, okay, it is O dark 30. I have at least two immediate needs that need to be taken care of, not of my own, not of my own doing. And I have so many things on my mind. I want to just start do-do-doing. And yet, when I stop and remember, everything has been done for me everything, then I reflect upon and enjoy this king who came to die for me. Mission begins with worship. Take time to enjoy the king and then to speak about him. See, these guys that Jesus called, they were called to specific seas, weren't they? They knew the Sea of Galilee. Jesus knew this area. These guys knew the fish in that sea. They knew the times, the rhythms, the, the seasons better than anyone else. You and I have been called and placed in specific seas. <laughs> Your job, not an accident. Your neighborhood, not an accident. Your family, not out of God's sovereign control. You have been sovereignly placed in a specific sea around specific fish who you know better than anyone else. You know the seas of that or the waves of that sea better than anyone. You know how their hearts operate. You know what their struggles, their suffering, their sorrows are. You are the best equipped person to take the good news of the gospel directly to them, even more than I am. What is the specific or the specific seas that you have been placed in? And who are the specific fish in that sea that you might be uniquely qualified to share the gospel with? Does that change your your desire for missional living? Knowing that you might be the most qualified person You might most uniquely know the hearts of those around you in your neighborhood, in your household, at your job. You might be the best missionary for them. God has put you in a specific sea. Would you fish from that sea first? See, would you then love these fish? These fish. We've got to stop using these analogies at some point. Would you move towards others, sharing your life in the gospel by praying for them? Praying. The, the dependent part of salvation. We pray for God to bring about new life, change hearts, because only he can. But then we love these people at cost to our own comfort, love them sacrificially, and then we speak joyfully to them about this king who has come calling us. Make this real practical. This in the first service too. Real practical. Easter Sunday, two Sundays from now. Many of us have at least one non-Christian friend, family, colleague who may not consider attending a church service that morning, would you invite them here? Easter Sunday, two weeks from now, would you invite one non-Christian friend, family, colleague to join you for, for worship of Jesus, hearing this gospel proclaimed on Easter Sunday, but any Sunday in reality, Easter Sunday, and then join us afterwards for food together? Would you invite just one non-Christian friend or family. And if you're here today, 
and you're thinking, oh, I think someone jumped the gun, and they invited me because I'm not a Christian yet. Well, let me tell you that you've been invited and you're here because that person who invited you loves you so much that they want to spend eternity with you. They do not see you as a project. They see you as a person they love and they want you to know the good news that they know through faith in Christ. So would you invite one person with you on Easter Sunday and then throughout the rest of this week, I invite you to think like a fisher of men. What would change about your schedule, your energy, your use of time, talents, and abilities? If you were to think like a missionary, where would you go? Who would you speak with? What might you put on the to-don't list in order that you could to-do the more important things? What would this week look like for you if you were to think like a missionary in light of being saved by the great fisherman Jesus himself first? Here's the good news. Jesus came to Galilee. Then he went and died on Calvary and he rose to victory. See, the king has come calling. The king of all eternity is the king who lived, died, and was raised on your behalf and for my sin and your sin. And through faith in his work, we are forgiven of our sin and offered comfort in our suffering. Are you ready to follow him? Are you ready to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord? What we're going to do over the next two songs and time of worship throughout the rest of the service is we're going to have a time to respond in two two meaningful ways. First, we're going to take communion. And communion is a shared meal for those who believe in Christ to take the bread and the juice, remembering that Christ's body was broken and his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And, And Ron Mason will explain a little bit more of what that means. But I invite you to take and eat and partake of that in order to celebrate the Savior. But then after, after Ron leads us in communion, we're going to have two songs of worship and praise. You might have noticed a, a lighter front half of the service today in order that we could have a time to respond, to answer this question, are you ready to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior? And so during those two songs of worship, what I invite you to do is speak with God. If you've yet to come to faith in Christ, give him your sin. Receive his forgiveness. And if you want prayer for anything... I know I do, (laughs) for a lot of things. If you want prayer for anything, I invite you to come forward. I or one of the other elders would love to pray with you. You could even turn to someone in the aisle next to you and say, hey, I got this going on in my life. Could you pray for me? Hey, I want to follow and enjoy this Jesus that I just heard about, but I don't know how to do that. Would you pray for me? Let's enjoy the King, the King who has come calling. And now let us respond as those who are ready to see, savor, and sojourn after this King Jesus. Amen? Father, we thank you so much that every time your word is opened, we hear about your, about your son, our King. Father, we thank you so much that he did come to Galilee in the midst of our needs. He, he went to Calvary and died for us, and then he rose to victory. He paid our penalty, beat our enemy, and offers us eternal life and victory. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, for him doing what we can't, but what we so desperately need. And so we ask now that you would ready our hearts to respond to him, wherever he's leading, whatever he's calling us to, that we would respond to the same Jesus who comforts us amidst the storms and the seas of this life is the same Jesus who calls us to follow him in everything and to find him because he first found us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. 
And now we look forward to what you will do in our hearts as we celebrate communion and then sing to you in the rest of our time together. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.